0: Southland's own Von Trapp family there, but uh, <laughs> Luke chapter 9 this this morning, glad to see you in church today, and we're going to just look at a simple thought this morning, Luke chapter 9, and it's been a, a great month so far of preaching, and we're really looking forward to just celebrating together next week as we think about Just God's faithfulness once again to us over the years. And looking forward to just also spending some time in the evening for Heritage Night. Really just uh, talking about uh, a couple of things for the following year as well. So uh, Luke chapter 9, let's begin reading in verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And then notice with me, verse 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We're going to look at this thought of the plow perspective. And I think there's a certain attitude that's conducive to faith. And it's the attitude that the Lord Jesus speaks about here in our text. And really in the context of the, the, the passage that we read, it's about following him. And uh, there's this three different people that um, that he speaks about here, and we know it's not a parable. He said there was a certain man that said unto him, uh, there was these specific people that had come to him, and the first one spoke about following him. He declared his willingness to follow Christ. He says, "I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest." But Jesus' response was, "There was uh, where he was going." was not going to be a life of comfort. It was not going to be a life of permanency in that sense. It was going to be a constant journey. He, he presumed there that where they were going in verse 57, whithersoever thou goest, was going to be a place where it was going to be a destination. And yet we understand that so often is the case when we're following Christ. It's really a journey. It's a constancy. The second person here, uh, Jesus asked that he would follow. He said in verse 59, And he said unto another, he said, so the Lord Jesus saying, follow me. So Jesus was the one that initiated this. And He said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And so uh, the, the Jesus' response was that those who are dead can bury their dead. Uh, that He needs to do what is more urgent, and that was to preach the kingdom of God. And then the third one declared again that He would follow Jesus. He was the one that said, Lord, I will follow Thee. But then He says this, let me go first, bid them farewell which are at my home, at my house. He wanted to throw a, a bit of a, a time of saying goodbye to his family. And yet Jesus responds with this in verse 62. He responds with, with really what summarizes what, what his responses were uh, to these three people and surely to us. And it's going to be an attitude that, that we need to take into our Christian life. It's the plow perspective. He, he said, no man... No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus uses this agricultural term of plowing as an illustration of His expectation of our following Him. And and probably the majority of us here this morning uh, didn't grow up in a a farming environment, in an agricultural environment. Uh, I somewhat from, from vague memories remember uh, seeing this even in our, uh, in our farmland there in the Philippines. But uh, a plow was a, just an instrument that had a sharp, uh, sharp bit at the bottom that animals dragged to, to turn over soil uh, so that they could make rows ready uh, for planting, ready to plant seeds. And, and that was the perspective that the Lord Jesus, the picture that the Lord Jesus was, was sharing here in explanation of the kind of attitude that we need to have that's conducive to fruitful living. And he was saying here, no man who puts his hand to the plow, goes to work for me, goes to follow me, goes to live a life of faith, needs to look back. It needs to be, uh, the the thought is this, the plow perspective is one that's looking ahead as he does the work. And and so the basic premise is that we are to look forward with intent if we're going to be fruitful and effective in our followership of him. If we're going to have straight rows that will be able to yield a bumper crop, we need to commit to the plow and not look back. Uh, when we go about and we, we, we are disciples of Christ and we commit to following Him, there needs to be an attitude that if we're going to be fruitful, we're going to need to look forward by faith. We're going to need to press forward. We're going to need to be uh, the kind of people that we're going to uh, commit to the plow And, and, you know, you you, you picture here animals driving forward, driving that plow forward, and the the one that's steering that us in this this instance needs to not look back, but look ahead as well. And we need to be the kind of people that, although we can uh, look at the past and learn from the past and even be thankful for the past, we need to be the kind of people that's leaving those former things and looking ahead, looking forward, having the plow perspective, and Jesus was trying to teach those who would decide to follow God that part of this life was to look ahead and not allow even the current priorities of life become a hindrance to their journey. See, the Plough perspective is one of not lingering of what's behind, but looking ahead to what's coming ahead. And I think about uh, what, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13-14. to 14, Brethren, I count not myself to be apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so, this morning, as we, as we consider the, our, our text this morning of Luke chapter 9, verse 62, I just want to give you some lessons on some people in the Bible who perhaps didn't have the plow perspective. And understand that there's a danger if we don't adopt this attitude in our lives. All right, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Father God, we come before You. And we thank You again for just allowing us to be here and be part of, of this time of, of worship, this time of, of praise unto You, but also this time of learning and edification. And Father, we don't want to take it for granted, the fact that we can open up Your Word so freely today. Lord, thank You, dear God. I pray that You would please... Uh, Just magnify Your Word in our midst. I pray that You'd help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to be challenged, dear God. uh, Lord, to have this perspective in our lives as we press forward for You. And I pray that You'd please be honored, even as we have uh, Your Word open unto us. May You be glorified in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 19 first. And we're going to turn through our Bibles quite a bit this morning. I hope that you'd just, uh, just follow along. If you don't have a Bible near you, maybe... Uh, you can quickly raise your hand. We've got a couple of Bibles there at the back. Someone can give you that. Uh, but if you could turn to Genesis chapter 19 and notice with me uh, verse 12. And we're going to speak about the first example here in Lot. Uh, Lot and his family. As you know, Lot came out of, uh, came out of his homeland, uh, came out with uh, his, uh, his uncle Abraham. And Abraham was called of God to journey to a place that he knew not a place that he didn't name it was a journey of faith and Lot came along with him and there was a time where they they had they there was contention between Abraham's herdmen and Lot's herdmen they had grown in their stature as people as as uh, as families and so they they were carrying a lot of cattle a lot of stock and they had split up because uh, because there was contention between their herdmen and and they went about and and, and Abraham gave Lot the choice to to go one way and, and Abraham would go the other way. You understand the context, the story there. And so Lot chooses to, to, um, to uh, plug in there and, and set his sights on the plain of, of, uh, of Sodom, the plain of Jordan there. And, and so here he is a, a few years later, and, and he's basically planted himself in this city of Sodom. He had planted his family there. They had lived there. They had made their, their life there. And God sends uh, send some angels to warn them of the judgment to come. And so that's the context that we read this in verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou he- here any besides? So he was Lot in his family home. And, and the angels and the, these men are, are asking him, Do you have any other family in the city? He said, Son-in-laws and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. There's a warning, there's going to be destruction. So he's saying, get those that are your family, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. And notice the response, He seemeth as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And, and, and as if he was just joking around, as if this was mockery, they didn't take him seriously. They were in this place and they had been ingrained in the culture of this wicked place. And now the warning was come for them to get out, lest you be destroyed with the city. And they didn't even take it seriously. They mocked, they, they, it seemed as if he was one that was mocking, one who was joking. Notice verse 15, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened lot. So they were hurrying him saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here. So out of the whole family, we don't know the amount of daughters that Lot had, the amount of family that he had. But out of all of them, only his wife and two daughters were under his household and they were the only ones he was able to warn. And he says, Which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And notice verse 16. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife. So knowing that the city was going to be destroyed, knowing that this place was going to be judged, knowing that this was not the right place to be, Lot still lingered. Lot still had an affinity to this place. And and notice there the, the Lord being merciful unto him and they brought him forth and set him out without the city. And so they basically had to hold his hand and say, no, you need to get out Now, you need to go now. And so here they are now, they're out of the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. And then notice an instruction given Lot and his family, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And we know Lot sort of of, uh, tries to negotiate with them. He says, no, could I go to this place instead? I'd be more comfortable there. Uh, again, Lot was lingering. He still was longing. He still had, a, he had an affinity for that, that former life, for that place that was, uh, was not the right place to be. And we know later on, look at verses 24 to 26, as they escaped and as the city was being destroyed. Notice verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, a brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. And notice verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And we know the story. We probably heard it over and over in Sunday school. But you understand that the Bible indicates for us in Second Peter chapter, 7, uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, that Lot was a just man that God delivered just Lot, who, by the way, was vexed. That means he, he was suffering through the, the, the filthy conversation of the world around him, of the wicked around him. The, the Bible even goes further to say that he was a righteous man dwelling among them. And, and then seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with unlawful deeds. So it wasn't as if this was the first warning he got in his conscience. He was already pricked uh, by, the, by the things that we, he was seeing, Some of the things that was vexing him. Some of the wickedness that was around the city. And God was already working on his heart to go and leave this place. And yet the instruction was, as they were warned in a very direct way, said, don't look back. Don't linger. And unfortunately, Lot's wife lingered and she looked. The wicked lifestyle that they had grown accustomed to was too much for her to let go of. The knowledge that her extended family the, there was still in that city being destroyed was too much for her to resist one last glance. Simply her eyes and her heart lingered. And here's the lesson. You see, a lingering look behind you can cost you your way forward. See, it, God had made a way forward. God had a made, made a way for, for for Lot and his extended family here, including his wife and his two daughters, to escape the destruction to come. And yet, because of her lingering, she looked behind and it cost her. It cost her. You see, we need to be careful not to linger on what God is delivering us from. You understand today that if you're a Christian, God has saved you out of something. Right? He saved you out of a uh, out of a, a destination called hell, but He's also saved you from, uh, from a lifestyle that was sinful and that was wicked. God God has given you the ability. Uh, the Bible tells us that we can reckon ourselves dead to sin, that we no longer need to live therein. You understand that God has given us through His Spirit and through His, uh, through his salvation that He's offered us victory over those things, and now we're made new creatures in Christ. We have a former life. And I understand that as a seven-year-old boy, even as a seven-year-old boy, I was uh, when I, I called upon Christ to save me. I was saved; God saved me from potentially a life that that was going to be full of sinfulness, full of wickedness. So, whilst I didn't have those things, there were some th- those could have been former things in my life. But yet, some of you here this evening, uh, this morning, some of you, you had a former life. Some of you, you were saved later on in life. And there's some things that, that God saved you out of that, that, that are former things. And what I'm saying this, this morning is this. You better take great care to look forward and not linger on the things that are left behind. Linger on the former things. That's why if you're, uh, I want to just tell you this morning, if you've recently been saved, and there's some things that, that God is working on your heart about, Listen, don't linger on those things. Get rid of them in your life. Don't, don't, don't go through a, a step-by-step process. Just get rid of them. Don't linger. Uh, the, 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 the mistake that Lot made was he had an attitude of lingering and looking back on the things which he should have left behind. He should have had the plow perspective of just press forward because this is our rescue. This is our deliverance. This was our way out. Don't linger in your sinful past. The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. The, the, the Bible tells us to be holy, that for He is holy. And we'll not linger on those things. Don't, uh, the Bible tells us that we're new creatures. And in the Christian life, God calls us to leave behind the former life. See, our turning away from that and turning to Christ... There needs to be a plow perspective. A perspective of just looking forward. Don't allow, don't allow yourself to linger in your sinful past. Don't linger in times of stumbling. You know, sometimes we do stumble. You know, speaking to to many of you, there are times where where you might stumble at something, but don't 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 let that, don't linger, don't, don't stay at that place of stumbling. Don't keep going back. Don't linger when faced with temptation. You know, um, all of us here, we have to make a choice of just looking ahead and not looking back. You know what, what, the, what the, our flesh will want us to do? Our flesh will want us to just hold on to it a bit longer. Hold on to it a bit longer. Just, just You know, it's like what, um, uh, what, the, what Pharaoh said to the, uh, to the Israelites, uh, just one more, just one more day. Just hold on, just, just wait, then I'll let you go tomorrow. And, and listen, I want to I challenge you this morning. Have the plow perspective. Don't be like Lot who lingered and looked behind because it might cost you your way forward. You know, you look forward. Don't linger on the things that are of the past. Notice the second example here this morning. Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Look at Exodus chapter 14. Thanks for turning there. Exodus chapter 14. And here's the, the next example that we have. And notice verse, verses 9 to 13. And, and the, we had just spoken about the, the people of Israel and Egypt and Pharaoh. He had finally let them go after the ten plagues. They, they suffered a great deal at the, at the hand of God uh, in judgment. And so now they're, they're being released and they're going forward and they're confronted with the Red Sea. Notice verse 19, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baelzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel, notice this, lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and you would understand. I think if you just imagine and picture in your mind's eye uh, this, this uh, great army, thundering hooves uh, running towards you, and you knew the might of the Egyptians, how, how fearful you would be. And so they cry out to the Lord. But notice in verse 11, they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt saying let us alone that we may serve the egyptians for it had been better for us to serve the egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness and so now they were faced with with a, a really a really difficult situation to say the least and now they're starting to think but but you took us out of egypt it would have been better for us to stay in egypt and And notice the attitude that they had. You understand that they were just rescued. They were just delivered miraculously by the hand of God through Moses, through Aaron, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of this place where they had basically no rights, where where their children were being murdered. And now they're looking back and they said, basically they're saying, we wish we would never have left Egypt. Why did you bring us here? But notice there's a pattern here. Look at Numbers chapter 11. So they get past that. You understand that, that God's merciful. You understand that, that God uh, took pity upon them. It was their cries in the first place that, that, that moved God to rescue them, to deliver them out of Egypt. And yet here they are now in the wilderness journeying and bearing in mind what we read there in Exodus chapter 14. Look at Numbers chapter 11. And notice verse 1, when the people complained. Uh, You remember what Pastor Fisher spoke to us last week about God killed more people with complaining than any other thing in the Old Testament. When the people complained, notice this, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And notice verse 2, And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And so they were complaining. God was displeased with them. He sent a fire. And then notice what he says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And notice what they say. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna. And let's just pause there and remember what manna was. It was miraculous bread from heaven. And yet they were saying, beside this manna before our eyes. And once again, they were longing for Egypt. In their mind's eye, they could see all the food that they, they had apparently grown, uh, grown fond of, that they had plenty of. And, and, and that's sort of debatable as we think about the fact that they were again impoverished in Egypt. And yet in their mind's eye, faced with this situation, they had grown tired of God's provision. And now when they were looking back, Now they were looking back. Instead of having the plough perspective of let's get to the promised land, they had paused and they were complaining. And they started to look back at Egypt. Now notice again, look at Numbers chapter 14. And there's a pattern here in, in the life of the Israelites that we need to be mindful of in our lives in Numbers chapter 14. And notice verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt and you know the context here, they, they had just sent the, the, the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. They came back with an evil report. The, the 10 came back with a negativity about the, 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 the land. There were giants in the land. They seemed in their sight as grasshoppers. And we know that, that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who came back with a good report. That, that God was able, but yet faced again with another challenge. You understand that the the people, once again, started to think back to their former life. Look behind. Look back to how good they had it in Egypt. See, the pattern for, for Israel after Egypt really was to keep looking. Again, in their imagination and perhaps in their heart, they kept looking back to Egypt when they faced some challenges. You know, sometimes we have the attitude that in the Christian life, everything has to go smooth sailing. And then when it doesn't, we look back and go, God, you should have just left me where I was. And we better take great care. You know, I understand if you're saved here this morning, uh, that, that the, your worst day as a saved person it was far better than the best day you had as a lost person. You understand that, that, that when you were under bondage of sin in the world, you had no choice for your life. But in Christ, you have all the choice, you have liberty. You've been freed. And yet the pattern for Israel when they faced some challenges, some difficulty, was to look back and think about how good they had it in Egypt. And may I remind you again that they were slaves in Egypt. that They were being murdered in Egypt. They had no rights in Egypt. Egypt was a place of daily defeat. And yet God delivered them supernaturally and directed them to a land of promised victory. Israel had a skewed view of the current situation, and so they had a skewed view of the past. See, what happened was they lost sight of God. They lost sight of who God was. They lost sight of what God had in front of them. And, you know, if we as a people, we remain stagnant and we focus in on what is current in our lives, the current challenge, the current hardship, you know what the tendency will be? you'll have a skewed view of how good you had it in the past. I think about another example. Look at Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, and I was in, in my Bible reading this past week. I was in the book of Ruth and sort of just focused in a little bit and, and made some, just some observations once again. And Ruth chapter chapter 1, and notice verses, verses 20 to 22 and and by the way, I'm, I'm just glad that we can still have the lights on so we can read our Bibles. Ruth chapter 1, and look at verse 20, And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. You understand they went to this place in Moab. There was a dearth, there was a famine in the land, and so they went there to, to look for a better life, so to speak. Her husband dies, Elimelech, and her two sons, Malion and Chilion, die as well. So she's left with two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Opa. And so now she's returning to to Israel, returning to to Bethlehem. And she's only got one daughter-in-law. The other one leaves her. The, The one Ruth stays with her, and she's conversing with her. She said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me, and notice what she says in verse twenty-one: "I went out full." Now, what was the situation in in, in Jerusalem? Uh, in, sorry, in Bethlehem and in Israel at that time they, that they left. Go back to go back to earlier um, in verse one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now her 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 recollection now was this: I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. Now, in we understand that she had a loss of family here; that she was dealing with death. All of us here who've ever faced with death in in our families, you understand that 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 can that can really um, affect you, and it it could really render you feeling hopeless. And so here she was. But you understand from a uh, from a perspective of of what she had, she left empty. She's coming back empty. Does that make sense? It's not as if she left full. The reality was this she actually left empty as well. She left looking for a better life somewhere else. We understand that there was a famine in the land. And so, but her recollection was this I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye Naomi, which means pleasant, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? She was in bitterness. The current situation of loss the kind of situation where the things that she had planned had not panned out again. Just like Israel was skewing her perspective of what was behind. It seemed so much better. It seemed that, that Naomi came out full, but the reality was this, her past was empty too. Her past was empty as well. Naomi had a skewed perspective of the past. Why? Because she left because of a famine, because her skewed view of the present was affecting her her forward perspective. And what she longed for was what it used to be, even though the reality was she came out just as empty as she did returning. She needed to have a plow perspective. The the reality was here for both Israel and Naomi, looking behind was this, they had a a skewed perspective. Why? Because they stopped looking forward and they focus on their current problem. You know, we as people, sometimes we can get so myopic about the current, the current situation we face, the current problem that, or the current challenge that we're facing, that we forget that God has a plan forward, that God has future provision, that God is able to bring us through this. And if we're not careful, we can start to look back and start to long for what it used to be when it was just as empty as it was now. When what it was, maybe pre-salvation, what it was pre-commitment to Christ was just as empty. And, you know, looking forward in hope, looking forward in hope is always better than dwelling on your problem and pining for a skewed past. Looking forward in hope. Why do we have hope? Because we have a God of hope. Because we have a living hope. Because of, because of the fact that we can trust God with an unknown future. Because we know Him and we know His character. See, what I'm saying is this, your stagnancy will cost you. See, a, a plow, the plow perspective is this. You put your hand to the plow and you press ahead. You, you know, the, the danger for us as Christians is to think that we, just, we can just remain stagnant and it won't affect us. If you have a mentality this morning that, that where you're at now, and it doesn't have to be even a time of challenge. Maybe you feel like you've arrived somewhat, that somewhat your, your maturity is, where, uh, is exactly what it ought to be in the faith. If you're stagnant that way, the danger is this. You're going to look back. You're going to start to focus in on, on what, it, what the skewed perspective is of your past, of what it used to be. And Christian, I just want to encourage you, your problem is temporary. Can I say that again? I want, to, I want to encourage you, Christian. Your problem is temporary. But your hope is eternal. Your hope is eternal. Look forward, not back. Look, uh, don't look down, look up. And, and the, the longing for the things left behind, you know what, can derail your future progress. And so that Israel and, and the wilderness, Naomi... In her time of bitterness, it would have been a time to have the plow perspective. Then lastly, notice with me in the New Testament, look at Galatians. And the last example we have is, is, is the church in Galatia. We've spoken a little, about, a little bit about them over the last couple of, um, of weeks as we've spoken. Uh, last time we were here on a Wednesday on the book of Galatians, but um, I think it was Brother Shemish who referred to them as well. But Galatians 5 Look at uh, verses 1 to 7. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Notice again that that phrase, be not entangled again. Which means they used to be entangled, now they were not. Then he says, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And you understand the situation that was happening in, in Galatia where there were some people who had come in who were preaching and teaching that, that it wasn't purely um, belief in Christ and trusting Christ, but they had to add to that and they had to follow the, the letter of the law and in this instance here, circumcision, to be fully, uh, fully grafted in to the, uh, into, the, into salvation, into the body of Christ. I understand that there were those who were Judaizers in the day who were saying that you had to go back to the law as part of salvation. And we understand that that the opposite is true. You don't, the the law is done away with. And notice verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, notice this, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Then he asked them a question, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And and you understand that, that running, the running, that idea of running is is going forward. It's pressing forward. And, and this particular thing, it was in their maturity. He, he was saying that that you, you know you were running well, you were you're you, were, you were being made perfect, you're you're maturing in the faith, but right now you're being hindered because of this thing. And it was a thing that they had in their past. It was something that they were saved out from. Look at uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Notice it. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And he says this, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He's saying, what's the purpose of Christ dying for your sins? No, it's to, like what we heard last week, to nail the letter of ordinance to the cross. It's become of no effect to us. It's no longer going to hold us uh, in contempt, in condemnation. And he's saying, don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't stop it. Don't, don't, don't hinder it in your life. It's what you need most. It's what you need. It's the thing that's giving you life in Christ. And again, there were those in Galatia who had been trying to teach the Gentile believers that they must adapt the Old Testament law to be fully saved. And Paul was reminding them that faith was no longer about performance and the law. Okay? It was faith in Christ Jesus and faith alone. And so, here's the, the, the lesson here. When you look to the former to get you ahead, you will find yourself entangled. When you look to the former to get you ahead, you will find yourself entangled. In the church in Galatia here, they were looking back. They were looking back at the thing that they were once entangled with and they were being entangled again. In Galatians 3.3, he 3, says, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And what the issue was for them was they were being entrapped and they were, they were being taught that to be perfected, to be made mature in Christ Jesus was just a performance thing. It was a performance of the law and He's reminding them, you've begun in the Spirit. Why would you do it in your flesh? And they were hindered in their maturity because they started to rely on performance over grace. And they were starting to rely on the flesh over the Spirit. They had, they had looked behind instead of looking unto Jesus. You understand, look at Hebrews chapter 12 that we're challenged by this. Hebrews chapter 12, he, he says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let, it, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us And notice that we can lay it aside. We can lay aside the weight. We can lay aside the sin which so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, if you're saved here, you're free. You've got liberty. You you no longer have to be weighed down by, by the past, weighed down by your sin. You've been made free from that by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can run unhindered You can run without anything besetting you. And he says this, the way you do that is you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, all we need is Christ. We need to lay aside the works of the law and the, the works of the flesh and run the Christian life unburdened through grace and faith. That's why He tells us in that great passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that, 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 that therefore, my son, be strong, not in yourself, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not in your own, uh, in your own merit that you can even grow in your spiritual maturity. It's your reliance upon the, the grace of God upon your life. We are to grow in grace in 2 Peter 3.18 and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're reminded in Philippians two thirteen, for it is God, which worketh in you both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. Listen, there's nothing good in us. There's nothing. There's nothing we can do that merits more favor with God. No, it's by His grace we are to grow in grace. We are. We are to be strong in the grace, that is in Christ Jesus. If, if the the uh, the great uh, the great prophet uh, the. Uh, John the Baptist, he said that he might increase and I might decrease. We need more of him. And he's saying here in Galatians, don't look back at the thing that entangled you before. You see, looking back to what didn't work won't make your future work out better. He was saying, you know, you started in the spirit. Why are you going back to the flesh? Doing things in the power of the flesh won't result in spiritual fruit. We know that in Galatians chapter 5, again, if you take the time in verses 16 to 22, you see the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And the exhortation given us there is that we might walk in the Spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, the problem is uh, at times we forget that we just need more of Christ if we're going to grow. If we're going to grow in faith, we need more of Christ. You know what we, we tend to think is if we do more, if we, we, we discipline ourselves more. You understand, that's, that's the fruit. But you need the, the Spirit before you have the fruit. It's an outworking of the Spirit's working in your life. And sometimes we rely upon our own flesh and, you know, doing things in the performance of the law won't result in spiritual perfection it won't result in spiritual maturity. Again, we remember last last week, we learned that we're no longer in, in that law of sin and death. But we're now in the law of life in Christ Jesus. We're now in the law of liberty. And we have the freedom through grace to live righteously without fear of condemnation, but with hope of pleasing Him. And how do we please Him? How do we please Him? By faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the motive, the motive is love. You see in Romans 8, 37 to 39, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it ought to be today that you come here not because you are burdened by it, but because you have liberty in Christ, because you have a love for God. It ought to be that in the, the, the times that you serve, in the areas that you serve in, isn't because you're obligated to do it. No, it's because you have the freedom to do so under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be that when you go out uh, to win uh, others to Christ, that you speak not uh, of, of your goodness, not of the fact that you are such a, a great obe- a, a obeyer of the law, but the, the fact is we have the great freedom and the great privilege to speak of a great message that changed our lives. It ought to be that. It's because we love Him. That we, it's because He loved us that we can love Him. You understand? We've been, we've been shifted away from the power of the flesh to the power of the Spirit. I wonder if you would walk in the Spirit. See, brethren, walk in the Spirit. You're, you're free from the law of sin and death. The perspective is this that we go by faith and we go by spirit. See, it's not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so walk in the spirit. You're free from the law of sin and death. You're now in the law of life in Christ Jesus. And the plow perspective, the plow perspective is one of looking forward to Christ, not back. See, The church in Galatia, they were entangled again. Hey, can I remind you this morning again that Christ has given you liberty. Christ has made you free in Him. And, and we need to have the plow perspective. No man looking back, no man having put his hand on the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's God's expectation of us today? His expectation is that we look ahead and we press on for Him. You see, a lingering look. Remember Lot's wife, the Bible says. A lingering look behind you can cost you your way forward. Stop looking at those things that, that God's rescued you, rescued you from. Stop looking at those things that, that God is delivering you from. A longing for things left behind can derail your future progress. Hey, listen, those things are former. Nothing in your former life will ever satisfy you like, like God can in your, in your life to come. When you look to the former to get ahead, you're going to find yourself entangled again. Hey, you've were you begun in the Spirit. Now you're going to continue in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We need to look ahead. We need to have the plow perspective and, and look forward by faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you just help us this morning. And Father, I understand, dear God, that Lord, there are times there's a tendency, Lord, in our own strength. Lord, to look behind and to, Lord, perhaps have a skewed view of of what it was. But Lord, your command for us as we go on for you is that we just look ahead and put our hand to the work, to the plow, and not look behind. Help us as the Apostle Paul said to forget those things which are behind and press, press toward the mark. And Lord, I pray that you just help us, Lord, to have this spirit and attitude as we, as we live the Christian life. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, we're going to have a time of invitation now. And the piano can begin to play. And I, wanna, I wonder if um, you're here this morning firstly. I just want to ask you this question. If you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? That heaven's your home? We see you talked about uh, a lot about the former, but maybe that's not former for you, that's you currently. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, that naturally we're born with a sin nature. That we are sinners by nature and by choice. And maybe that's you this morning, and if I were to ask you this question again, if you were to die today, you wouldn't know that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home. Maybe that's you this morning, and I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out, but maybe you'd like to know, and you just want me to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure, but I'd like to know today. Anyone at all this morning? I'd like to know how it is that I can have forgiveness for sin. Anyone this morning? The Bible tells us now is a point in time. Now, today is the day of salvation. Anyone this morning? I'm not sure. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know anyone at all. Then Christian, are you looking ahead? Are you cumbered by the things that are, are presently before you? Are, you? are you looking behind and not really looking for, for the way ahead in Christ? I want to challenge you this morning uh, just to deal with that and, and let the Lord just unburden you perhaps today. Are you here this morning and that's you? I haven't had the, that perspective. I, I've, been, I've been feeling hopeless. I've been feeling like maybe the past is better and I have no future. Is there anyone this morning? I just want to pray for you just with an uplifted hand. just want to pray for you. See that hand there. Thank you. see those hands. See those hands. Thank you. Let's all stand to our feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to encourage you to have some time of prayer. If you raise your hand, why don't you come to the altar this morning and just do business with the Lord. But let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. And why don't we just have some time quietly, just maybe just thanking God that we have a way forward, that we do have hope in Him. But if you raise your hand, I want to call you to come and just be here at the altar. and Why don't you pray and commit some things to the Lord.